Hello, everybody. This is Game and Gadget Podcast number two zero into twenty territory, and with me on this special. Do, do we call it an anniversary for number 20? We're going to go with an anniversary. For the Game & Gadget podcast number 20, I have Tony Warriner, co-host extraordinaire. Again, he's saluting. For those on the audio podcast, you'll just have to watch the video to see this spectacular salute. Thanks, Tony. And also with us today, Aaron Fothergirl, all the way from a much more energy-efficient space. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, chaps, without further ado, let's get straight into this and talk about the elephant in the room. And I don't mean by the size of the peripheral. I mean just by the brute power that is resting in Tony Warner's hands. It is, of course, the Steam Deck. So, without me gushing too much, Tony, why did you choose the Steam Deck? Uh, it's a good question, and it's so long ago that 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 we filled that form in to order it that that I can't actually remember what I was thinking. Um, probably, I mean, the great thing about being a developer is you've got an excuse to buy any particular piece of hardware that you might be interested in because you need it for work, right? R and D. R and D. So you know, reluctantly, I didn't really want one, but I, I was forced into into that purchase. Um, you poor man. Which, which actually, I mean, it's not far wrong because I I do probably plan to put out a game at some point in the future, not too long, and it will be it will be on Steam. So I mean, you need you need to be uh, Steam Deck compliant and stuff. So you, you need Steam Deck. Okay. Just like so, you need a thousand Android phones if you're going to write an Android game, you know. Okay, so you've kind of justified the purchase. As in, this is the next money-making venture. But in uh, terms of, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, it looks like a winner as well. It, it, you can look at some things and you think that, that you know you can sometimes tell, can't you? You look at something coming out and you think that that's that's going to work or that's not going to work and I, and i think you know it's it's not so long ago we were looking at uh, steam machines and it was all a bit vague wasn't it and, and you know well what are they doing with that you know i mean i even got one of the prototype ones and i'm sure we've talked about it before it's it's just one of those gigabyte things um steam moss on it and stuff like that and that you know we kind of thought well it's kind of interesting is that is anyone going to really go for that but Steam Deck, I mean, you just, it just, I just looked at it and thought that looks like a winner, and I don't, I don't think I was wrong either, because I mean, you, there's still a long wait, and people are clamouring to get them. So, yeah, it, I mean, they can't make them fast enough. So there yeah. is one, one key factor into whether it will be a success or bomb. Is Jeff Minter writing a game for it? <laughs> well, you would assume because he is. We <laughs> think historically, Jeff, Jeff's a brilliant game designer and programmer. But historically, for some reason or other, every time he's written a game for a brand new console, it's failed. And, and definitely not his fault. But it's just a some weird correlation thing. So yeah, well, maybe he's the opposite of me. He, he's good. At, he's good at picking the losers. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true what you say, though. <laughs> he certainly all those Atari machines and stuff. They didn't know yeah, them last, um, did they? Was it? Was it the Konami one or whatever it was before the before the before the um, Jaguar, what was that That one he did that looked like being, wow, you know, and, and his stuff on it was looking like it's going to be great. In fact, I think it's what, the one he originally developed the, the video effects thing for. Um, and it 
it just never, I don't even, not even sure if it actually got released. Um, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I'd have to look, look at what that one was. But the thing is, it's, it's, I think one of the things is he's, he's very good at finding interesting consoles to develop for. And, and I think, you know, from, from a writing games point of view, I think that's great. I just think from a selling games point of view, he's just a bit unlucky. You know, uh, but then again, he can always say whichever ones of these consoles, you know, that, that have done that, he's def- definitively written the best game for them. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And he probably got paid to do it as well because, I mean, a, a, cl- a clever trick of new hardware or, or platforms is to get in there super early and, and get a yeah. big, big fat advance to to write something cool for it. I mean, uh, you know, Apple Arcade being a great example. Um mm. They yeah. were throwing money at that, weren't they, three years ago? Yeah. So, yeah, there have been some weird ones as well. I did I did a Philips one once that was like a, a Game Boy kind of thing designed primarily for girls, um, but with less power than a Game Boy and a ridiculously low-powered screen. Um, so, it, But the idea was that all the games would be for girls and they would be on these really dinky little cartridges. So um, a game it, girl? Kind of, because, but by, done by Philips, who didn't have anything really powerful enough to drive, drive it. Um, so, you know, they, they, they just had this weird sort of system. And um, we, we mocked up various things, did some test runs, and then nothing happened, you know. <laughs> and that was a long time ago. I think I was, I was working Electric Spectacle at the time. Um, so that'd be, what, 95, 96 maybe? I don't remember that either. Well, they never they never even announced it. It was purely a, you uh, know, okay. hey, we're going to release a console. And we're, we're like, you're going to pay the money? Yeah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> we'll, we'll look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. But the thing, the thing with the Steam Deck is, is that, whereas the, the Steam machine was just a PC, there was no real differentiating it from a PC of the same spec. The Steam Deck is... A PC, but it is very definitely a console. You know, it's a handheld console, um, yeah. and, and that that makes a big difference because it's actually, from from what I've seen of it, it's a console in a, a handheld console in a reasonable form factor to be a handheld. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot more work, a lot, a lot of work gone in, gone into it. I think you know, mm. it might well be a PC or or or, or a laptop underneath it all, but there's, there's a lot of customization gone into it. Uh, everything yeah, about yeah. it feels good, you know. It just, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just good. It's just good all around. Yeah. So and again, from the u- it's from the user point of view, I can ha- I can play it as a handheld, and I can play PC games on it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a nice simple equation for people. And the other thing is, it's it's big as well, like bigger than you expect. I and mean, everyone, everyone, whenever you pick up the thing for the first time, you go, "Whoa, that's big." Then about two minutes later, you're completely used to it. Uh, and you go back to a Switch and you go, oh, no, it's Switch. I'm playing the Switch game. <laughs> it's, it's tiny. It's tiny. Actually, come to think of it, that's a good point, actually, because I have, I've been tempted to get a Switch because then I could play Rogue Aces, which is only available on Switch and the PC. But that, now, that gives me an excuse to get a Steam Deck. Then I can play Rogue Aces on the Steam Deck instead. Is your, yeah. is your is your current employer Aaron not going to buy you a Steam Deck? 
I have to ask him about that one actually. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a good. I think it's a good idea. I can probably make a case for it. I would have thought so. I mean, you're going to have yeah. to. You're going to have to spot it, aren't you, sir? Yeah. The the, the the big thing, of course, is going to be: Are Steam going to be starting to prioritise Steam Deck compatible games on their front page, kind of thing? If you're going to get more promo for Steam Deck games, then it's well worthwhile. Yeah, well, there's, there's just, I mean, you, the, the Steam Deck certified thing is, is already a big factor, isn't it? I mean, you, mm. you, you, you've got to have that. Now, James is just wondering how, as a project manager, you could factor that into it as a work expense. It's Building PC. websites with a Steam Deck. <laughs> so you need a, you, a new, <laughs> you need a new PC for him. Yeah, I bet it has. It, I bet it has. Uh, I don't know, actually. Uh, it, it, not, not, not immediately obviously but uh, i mean uh people are doing all sorts with it so i think you can i mean i've done nothing but go through the go for the the main thing you know but i i mean yeah i think you can drop back out and do all sorts of things so uh, oh, awesome so, hey yeah. hey boss i want to check an e-commerce checkout <laughs> on the steam deck just just to know to make sure we're fully compatible i don't think this is going to work jen so i need to change industries if i'm going to try and get that as a possibility actually come to think of it i mean you know the, the, the prime there's a possible edge case for making it as a robust point of sale machine. Blimey, you know, that so is a very than, robust than, point of sale machine. Because well, rather than walking around with an iPad or something, you could feasibly do a point of sale machine machine that's um, it, it, it's Linux, isn't it? It's the actual primary OS for it. So yeah, you you, you could do a. A different, you know, depending on what, how exactly you're doing your point of sale stuff, but um, yeah, feasibly it would be usable as a point of sale machine. That's a very good idea because at times I do my contactless payment and have to wait an age for its process. I could play a game while I wait. Yeah, and if it's an interactive point of sale machine as well, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of scenarios for that. I used to do random art projects with museums and stuff where you do programs to, to do interactive setups in museums um generally you, you nowadays you'd be again you'd be talking using a, an ipad or something um in in a console but if you need you know uh, thumbsticks and, and you know proper sort of controls for a game kind of scenario then uh, yeah interaction stuff yeah yeah i mean you know there's, there's, there's a lot of lot of potential ideas that you can mess with it for it's just coming up with a suitable excuse that you can you know Persuade your 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 boss to sort of say, "Hey, yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can believe that." <laughs> it's not going to happen, gents. Unfortunately, as generous as they are, <laughs> but um, in terms of the model that you went for, Tony, because there's quite a few versions of the Steam Deck in terms of the spec it comes with. As like I, I believe, like the can we call it the budget option, the standard option? Let's call it that. The standard option comes with like the slower internal storage. And then you move up, and then it gets to that more flash memory speed. So, which one did you go for? Uh, I went uh, the middle one, so the first, uh, you know, not the base one, the uh, the next one up. Obviously, the slow one because he's yeah. doing the video from it. <laughs> he went for the slow internet option. There he is. He's back. Did you get any of that, Tony? Was, uh, I didn't get you, but I guessed what you said. <laughs> which version? Which model did you go for? Oh, did I cut out? Blimey! Uh, okay. Oh dear! Uh, it, uh, I, I went for the, I went for the middle, the middle one. So the base one looked wrong. Uh, the top top one looked too expensive, so it leaves the middle one, doesn't it? 
Right. So how much did that set you back, the middle one? I, I can't remember. Uh, Is that by choice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wasn't it like 400 quid or something? I mean, it was way too much. Way too much money. Painful. But, I mean, you get a lot for it, but it's just a big chunk of cash up front, you know. Uh, it's worth it, but, but yeah, it was it was painful. So, in terms of hardware form factor, then, what are some of the the benefits and negatives? Maybe you've noticed with the thing. You've already said it's quite large, and although you did get used to holding it after a while, but what else? I mean, like the display, for example. I know that's been a point that quite a lot of people have raised because the Switch now has that beautiful OLED display, whereas the Steam Deck has gone with more traditional display technology. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you if you sit it next to the OLED switch, then the, as some people are doing, um, then the, the the OLED is 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 deeper black and all that stuff. Um, but you know, you you don't you don't ordinarily just look at the Steam Deck and think that there's something up with the display. I mean, it's 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 pretty nice. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't you don't look at it and go, that's no good. It, it's perfectly good, perfectly good LCD display. I mean, some people are complaining about the fans, but I think there's, I think there are actually different variations out there. I mean, I've not, I've not heard the fans on mine. I mean, I've not had any problem at all. So, um, what sort of games know, are you think, running th- on it, though? Well, I, I mean, I've, I'm running pretty simple ones. I mean, our, our stuff obviously is not, is not going to tax it much. Um, I've, I've played a few uh, sort of 2D Metroidvania things. Uh, the kind of things that I play are not going to. It's not even going to notice, you know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not playing um, AAA 3D things at all. And in terms of the buttons and the analog sticks, you find them nice to use, and the touch controls on yeah. it as well. Yeah, it's all great. I mean, uh, I mean, when we first saw, yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna, just gonna remind myself. You know, when we, when we first saw pictures of it, it looked like. Yeah, it looked like the uh, the you know the buttons and stuff was going to be awkward, or or your your hands wouldn't quite be right because it's a slightly different kind of layout than than what you normally see. But actually, it's brilliant. You, you can't fault it. I mean, you could be a little child with little hands and you'd be fine. You can be a, you can be a, a, someone with huge hands and you'd still be fine. I mean, it's uh, it's actually pretty good design. Works really well. It's got a little weird stuff on the bottom. Oh dear. No idea what all that does, but buttons extra buttons and stuff now we're they, actually losing you a bit tony your connection seems to be a bit flaky today now the f- is it so we will we might have to battle on a little bit the good news is right. as it records locally when we're not doing it live you'll be completely stutter free so me and Aaron are just gonna have okay. to sit here and smile and not pull phases when you suddenly phase out a little bit because it'll look very odd for the actual finalized production of the podcast because right. we're going <laughs> <laughs> and everyone will be like, what's up with them? But anyway, in the live show, trust me, it's cutting out, folks, every now and again. So we're doing our best, and I'm sure Tony is too. I don't but, know why, though. Internet's good yeah. here. Yeah. But regardless, we're certainly glad you enjoyed the Steam Deck. But what are you going to do with it? I mean, have you tried? I know it comes with Linux on it, and that seems to be the preferable option. But you can also put Windows on it to run all the, like, the more Windows-based games that haven't gone past. Is it the the Proton, the Photon, the Proton <laughs> compatibility layer they've got? 
uh, I, well, I, I don't know how you, uh, uh, I haven't looked at any, any documentation whatsoever. I think you just, you just, um, uh, I think most games are the Windows versions, to be honest. I would, I would have thought, and certainly the things I'm playing are all the Windows versions. When you link with oh, the libraries and off, off you go, you know, uh, I, I don't think it yeah. really, uh, yeah, I don't think you, you sit down and say, I'm going to write a Linux Steam Deck game. I, I don't think it works that way. I mean, I might mm. be completely wrong. <laughs> I might be, but I think you just, you just write a Steam game and it works on the Steam Deck, you know. Yeah, because you're primarily linking to the Steam libraries. More than yeah, it's the Steam libraries yeah. that you, you need to, which have presumably got slightly more stuff in them now to support the deck. Mm. You, you you tie all that stuff up and, and test it and uh, Bob's your uncle, you know. But, you know, it, it seems very capable of uh, dealing with anything. I mean, the, the first thing I played was uh, Revolution uh, Steel Sky game, which and it's the original game from 1993, and it works perfectly. So, you know... It's not. It's yeah. not going to be much of a problem. Certainly not a problem for anything I write. Cool. Yeah. Um, my brother Adam was saying um, he was looking into it. You can actually run the Unity editor on it, um, which you know is. It wouldn't be the the best thing to do. You know, it's not the, the ideal setup for, for running it. But it does kind of prove that you could feasibly write a game on the console for the console. Um, yeah, well, I've seen pictures of and videos of people who've, who've got a keyboard and mouse and monitor attached to it. So you can just you can I don't know how hard that is to do, but uh, you know you can you can you can basically plug it in as a PC. You know, hmm. you, you can do what you want if you if you go grub around and figure out how to do it. Are you sold, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Sarah, the fact that I can play Rogue Aces on it is probably good enough for me, but uh, um, I, I think it'd be, it'd be an interesting one. Um, it's, it's like, again, it's like, it's a shame because the last Nintendo I got was uh, the GameCube, I think, was the last time I actually got went out and bought a Nintendo machine. And I do keep, keep missing out on, you know, the various cool ones, mainly because it's like, there's, there's not a game that grabs me. I, I, I buy consoles based on I want to play that game, you know, um, or I want to play that game better. So um, I recently, I recently finally got around to upgrading to an Xbox Series X, mainly because someone actually had one. Um, I thought, yeah, I better get that now. <laughs> and the, the difference between that and my old Xbox One is actually surprisingly dramatic. Um, even though, I mean, you know, visually, yeah, okay, it's 4K, but primarily the main thing is that you, you just it's the loading speeds on everything that's the only real difference in having all that speed the games are basically the same it's just it, it's like not waiting half an hour for something to load up it's true i mean although the original xbox is about one teraflop and the mm. new xbox series x is 12 it's certainly the loading <coughs> yeah. speed when you have, you have something on that internal storage it's just dramatically different yeah, yeah. So um, no, it's 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 quite handy, you know. Uh, so I've been playing a few few games on that one, uh, and again, that that's back to the whole the Game Pass thing as well. There's, there's a decent amount of games on Game Pass, so it's worth me playing it. And I tend to end up there's the same sort of thing as that. It's having the same sort of effect as Apple Arcade was intended to be, which is 
you play more games than you would normally do because you've got this thing you're paying for, whatever games you play. So, yeah, you've downloaded the games you know about that you want to play, and it's like, well, I'm from Yorkshire. I want to make sure I get my money's worth. So what else can I download? So you tend to be a bit more experimental with what you download, and you find some gems that you would just never have run across before, which is great. You know, I've, found, I've you know, come across. I mean, come across some games I've just like got started playing it on net delete. You know, <laughs> but but that's the whole point of this sort of service is you know you you um, you down you can try all of them, and um, that that works quite nicely for, for um, finding out what you actually want to play. Yeah, and many don't even have to download it to try it. You can basically stream it. Yes, at least get a feel. Yeah. Say, is it worth downloading? I mean, to be honest, if yeah. I was a, a game I played, I would not be using the cloud version. It's still, the, I think the technology still has a long way to go, although it's novel and it yeah. does work to a point. But to just try a game mm. out and see, is this going to be something that hooks me for a number of hours? It's ideal without having to go through the download weight. Yeah, although I've got gigabit fiber, so they're about the same speed for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I'll just oh, look oh, at the a, 70 megabits. <laughs> Yeah, it's only a gig, it's only a couple of gigabytes. That'll be a couple of seconds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Mm. I'm I'm moving to Spain. I'm, I'm catching the next plane. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, X, got Xbox Game Pass is certainly a tantalising mm. option, just because you have I think it's around a hundred games, isn't it, at any one time where you can try them, and often they're the the biggest hits that Microsoft have published. Yeah, I mean, some of the ones are where, where Microsoft owns owns it or owns the company that owns it. They tend to stay on for longer or possibly even permanently. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure of how they're doing it, but generally speaking, some games you could just yeah, that's it. You'll, you can play it to death and then not worry about you know the fact that at some point it will go away. Yeah, other stuff they've got deals for it to come on, go away, and, and so a lot of people say, oh, but you know, what about the devs? And the de I think so far the devs are like. We get a lot of money to do this. It pays for us to write the game. Mm -hmm. And even if it's taken away a bunch of sales when it first comes out, if it's an exclusive on it, and Microsoft aren't doing that many exclusives. They are picking up a lot of games past, past their sell-by date, as it were, that mm -hmm. are still really good games that you'd want to play, but you wouldn't have touched because you wouldn't want to pay premium price for it. But then this, this game comes up, there's a oh, that looks fun, I'll have a go, you know, and you do. And the dev's getting a decent amount of money for it. And the, the, the promotion on it is such that this game is leaving next week. If you want to keep playing it, buy it. So they're pushing you to keep buying these games at a, at a decent discount price. So it actually doesn't do too badly, I suspect, for, for actual sales of the game. So I, I, just, I strongly suspect from what I've been seeing so far that, that it's worthwhile for a lot of the devs. To, to do it's not like it's just dump a game kind mm. of thing no there seems to be a lot of different publishers involved with it and of course if you've been recently acquired by microsoft so bethesda they've got quite a few yeah. on there activision it looks like once that's properly through a lot of the call of duty games is going to be on there not exclusive mm. to the platform but you know if, no, if you're subscribing no. per month it's a it's a tantalizing well, microsoft said a yeah, they said a while back, didn't they, that they're not actually interested in too many exclusives and too many platform exclusives nowadays, um, which is kind of a brave move, you know, um, when that used to be kind of kind of a big thing. 
but um, I think, you know, I think the players appreciate it. I think so too. It's really, I mean, even Sony's doing something quite on Sony at the minute and they're releasing a lot of their, what were PlayStation exclusives as PC titles. So Ooh. although I've played Horizon Zero Dawn on the PlayStation 4 Pro, which was, by the way, one of the best games I've ever played, now it's on the PC, I'm going through it again because I'm, I haven't got a PS5. So I'm playing at 60 frames per second at a higher resolution. And it's just nice to go through it again. And what I didn't realise until I was brave enough to plug my PC into my downstairs setup, my PC will output HDR, it will do Dolby Atmos, and it's like, <laughs> so it's, it's going above and beyond in certain respects, but they've just released the new, well, newish Spider-Man game on there. There's other games that they've released. So that's also quite tantalizing that they're doing that as well. Sony's got their yeah. own kind of game subscription service on the horizon too. I think the only thing that bugs me about it, um, especially on Game Pass, um, is that you, you signed up for Game Pass, you're paying for Game Pass, You've got your Xbox um, username and everything, and everything's all kind of logged in through the Xbox Live. And you go to, say, a Ubisoft game or an EA game, and you can't play it unless you sign up to their system, which is it's a free sign-up, but, of course, it's them bombarding you with rubbish and, of course, they're now selling your data and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's yet another layer of network stuff that fails. Um for instance, I was playing uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands, which is a relatively old game, I found out. It's, it's only recently on Game Pass. Great game. A um, few years old. And they do a trial mode on the PC, so you can actually play it for five hours for free, which is great. You've got to be signed up on the Ubisoft game thing to do it, but the servers for that are hardly ever working on, on Ubisoft for the trial version. So because everyone gets really annoyed. and But it's, I'm signing in with Xbox Live. You'd expect it to be, you know, you to shouldn't have work. to be. And because you, you can't, you, you can't cross-play, probably because it's an old one, you can't cross-play from uh, Xbox to PC on any other versions. You're kind of used to the fact that you can't cross-play from, from the Xbox version to the Steam version or something. That's fair enough. It's two different platforms, effectively. Two different, you know, sort of competing sort of things but if you if ubisoft are putting this game on 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 xbox you know especially if they're putting it on game pass you'd expect to be able to crossplay, um and it's a bit annoying really so but then again there's just really really good ones that do work um there's um is it deep deep rock galactic is a great game um I don't know. I've been playing that one. Uh, really, it's co-op. Imagine it's um, Minecraft done in a, a sort of a what's it? A rogue style. So it's a rogue style Minecraft, but in slightly nicer three D than than Minecraft. About a bunch of dwarves going mining, uh, and each mission is randomised with a goal, and you can play up to four players co-op, and it's great fun. Sounds good. So in terms of portable handheld devices, let's rewind. So Tony, you've got the Steam Deck, and you seem very fond of it. If we go back in time, going from present to backwards, what have been some of your fascinations with portable devices? Like, What are some of the ones you've owned and the highlights from that? 
uh, I'd say that the the funniest one, and I'm sure we've talked about it already, but, but I mean, I remember the Gizmondo oh, particularly yeah. fondly. That was uh, that was a wild ride, uh, and a good example of what we were talking about before, where where, where you you get paid a a pile of money to to establish some new software on a, on a platform. Um, so I, I did a, I did a, a, a game called Compendium. It was like two two packs of parlor games with my good friends at AI Factory back in the mid two thousands, something like that. Uh, and and that I mean they they the, the AI Factory they they negotiated this deal with Gizmodo who approached them and and said, can you write some of your stuff for, for this new machine? And they they quoted super high figure because they didn't want to do it. And Gizmondo agreed to it. <laughs> yeah, but it was supposed to be stolen money or something in the first place. Oh, Giz- well, Gizmondo uh, thing was such a scam. It, yeah, it was a massive scam. And I mean, they, they opened a huge uh, shop on Regent Street, which they never paid any rent on. They they all ran away to um, uh, Los Angeles and, and took a load of UK registered ferraris with them that, that, that were leased in the uk and there was they were driving that that is a very as you mean you can look it up google it there's a story of it an, i think it's an, an enzo ferrari which had uk plates on it driving around los angeles and then they they crashed it somewhere outside and, and it, the thing split in two the, the gizmondo guy was thrown onto the road and kind of got up and and ran away, you know. I mean, if I'd crashed that car, I'd be dead, you know. <laughs> but they and supposedly there was someone else with him, and that person ran away as well. I mean, it was a right mess. But then eventually they caught up with him and um, deported him back to Sweden, where where they dealt with the Swedish mafia people uh, as they do. And he's probably still in jail. I don't know. But that was uh, yeah, that was that was a wild ride. I mean, we actually got paid for it as well in the end. But it was it was extremely difficult. Wow. Yeah, it was extremely mm. difficult um, to get paid, but uh, we did. We did in the end because we looked like we wouldn't at one point, <laughs> as we as it slowly dawned on us what what was happening and who we were dealing with. <laughs> but we had a trick up our sleeve, and uh, we actually did get we actually did get paid. So it all worked out all right in the end. But yeah, that was fun, and uh, and uh, not. I mean, it was just it was just a little Windows CE machine, so not not dissimilar to the to the. In, in principle, to the to the Steam Deck, in a way, L- little Windows machine in a, in a in a in a handheld um, form. I mean, it's, yeah. it's quite nice in some ways. So it's quite, it was quite nice to deal with. Have you got a Switch? I do have a Switch. There you go. Uh, I, I, you must have had a Game Boy at some point. Uh, I've got numerous Game Boy. I've got a Game Boy Advance. I've got a DS, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So, and yeah. is this because of development primarily? As in, you knew you were going to do like a broken sword yeah, and yeah. GBA, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had the, I had the GBA for development. I think I I might have got a DS. Yeah, I must have got a DS at some point because I was well into Advance Wars. Um, and, and so on. Um, I actually, actually had an Atari Lynx. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and and that had I have a soft spot for that because it, it had a really good multiplayer uh, flight sim game. Uh, you know, com- combat game. Can't remember what it was called now. Um, the downside was once you'd actually got enough people together to actually play it multiplayer and connected by the link cable and everything, um, and you 
you by that point you're eight triple A batteries, or no, eight double A batteries, I think it was, wasn't it? Some huge amount of batteries in it would have run out because it absolutely burned power. You 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 could run for about five minutes, I think, on a set of batteries. Um, so uh, it was it was horrific. <laughs> and that was quite a chunky but thing, wasn't the it? Games with a great. fairly small screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but really nice games. Um, the the was it, Adventures in Slime World was a really good platformer, um, and, and Chips Challenge, of course, was Chips Challenge. That was that was good on quite a few platforms. So, so it was that one, and, and yeah, the other was the the flight sim. That was a good aerial combat game as a network game. It was kind of good as a solo game, but it's one of these ones you you start playing it with multiplayer. It's like stunt car racing. As soon as you start connecting with your machines together, and at the time that was one of very few good network games, and it was on a handheld. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had quite a few handhelds. I haven't had the GBA because I had the DS, which was backwards compatible. So I kind of got my fill from that. Uh, more recently, I've got a Switch. To be honest, I don't use it that often. But, you know, the one I do use, which I actually brought after the Switch secondhand, was the 3DS, which I'm getting much more fun out of just because it, I just find that much nicer to hold. And, the, and although you know, 3D, in terms of the TV, Blu-ray, and all the rest of it would... The 3D died out very quick. It was like this spurt happened for 18 months and was never heard of again. For the 3DS, it actually was a worthy sort of part of that system. And there were certain games that made really, really good use of it to the point where if you had the 3D off, it would make it really difficult with the camera angle they chose specifically for 3D. So there's um, like a Mario 3D World one where the camera sort of jump above you and you need to land on these platforms often that's below you. And if it didn't have Ooh. 3D on, it's far harder to gauge how far you need to jump to land just where you need to be. And I love that system. It's perfect to hold. I prefer that much more than Switch, and I really wish there were still games coming out for it. But there we are. But, yeah, Ooh. I'd quite happily sell the Switch and just stick with the 3DS. Expensive to buy as well, if you look on eBay. I think I've just got mine at the right time. Yeah, mm. that's always a thing. Yeah, Which for retro is the key, isn't it? If you get it when everyone's suddenly splurging for this one particular device, forget it. eBay's just insane. Mm. Which reminds me, how you, how you found all the copies of that game of yours, yes? <coughs> me? Yeah, Obsidian. Uh... I've not seen one for sale for for a few months now. That's probably got you've got you, them all now. They're like no, no. There's, there's another 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 eight thousand or so to go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Getting them all. Oh, it's, really it's not just. I think. It's not just. It's not just finding a copy of each platform. It's finding all the actual copies of the game you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, all of them must return. As yeah. I say. Um, no, I've not seen one. I mean, they're a bit like buses. You you, t- you tend to get. Um, in like months and months go by and then and then five come along at once and they're all 25 quid each you know there was a guy actually who had i mean he had a dozen of them that he somehow he'd, he'd bought some somewhere and he was just feeding them onto ebay one after another it was like deja vu I'd, I'd, I'd like get i'd like get the thing and unwrap it having paid 25 30 quid for it on, on ebay and then like up would pop 
another one from the same guy, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. hang on, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> I've got it. And it, it can't be for sale. And then it's another one. I'd have to bid for it. I mean, I can't stop myself. I'd have to bid for it. And same thing happens again. This, this went on like eight or nine times, you know, and I wrote to him and said, exactly how many of these have you got? And, and brought there was a, he, had, he had a box full. He had another. He had <laughs> loads more. Well, what you should have done is you should have said, "Well, hang on a minute. I wrote this game. What if I sign them <laughs> for you? You can sell. You can sell them for even more and give me a cut. <laughs> Problem is, you buy them all having signed them, wouldn't you? It was. <laughs> I, I I just like seeing them all stacked up, so uh, I I would right. end up buying them. Yeah. Well, he yeah. could send he could send them to me for signing, and then I could just move or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how about you, Owen? In the handheld world, you've already mentioned the links. How about any of the other ones? Yeah, I had a, had the GBA. I worked on the GBA. Did a couple of uh, I did one GBA game for release, um, and I remember going cross side because the first version not being backlit. Um, so I actually had to rig. Yeah. My dev kit version, I rigged up a version with an with an, uh, a light over it to avoid myself going completely cross-eyed on it. Um, and um, in fact, we, we we got that gig as when I was working at Argonaut, and, and, and Adam had got a G, GBA. In fact, he, he was in Japan. He picked up two GBAs while he was in Japan, and we got one of the little hacky carts for it, so you could actually put your own stuff on on the ROMs. And um, we were. Looking, we were writing Airburst at the time on the Mac, and I, just for fun, did a version of Airburst where it worked at GBA screen resolution as a little small screen, just basically by scaling the whole screen down into the screen, just to see what a GBA version would look like, and showed that to our um, executive producer uh, at the company, um, and that's that was back when I was working on Harry Potter. And, and he said, oh, that's, that's interesting. And he didn't mention that they were pitching for a couple of GBA titles. So um, this other team got put together to do the GBA stuff. Then then we said, well, we can help you with that because they didn't have any dev kits and they were, st were still waiting to get them. But of course, we had the little cartridges. So we put some of the, some of the, um, got some of the artwork that was being mocked up for the game. Adam made some fake screenshots of it chucked it on the cartridge as a little player. Uh, so literally, it's just a snapshot thing on the GBA, which we could then use as a pitch deck for to, to get the game. And so having done Harry Potter, they, they said, oh, do you want to do uh, a GBA game? Like, yeah, that sounds fun. So I did that. <laughs> it's quite good fun, wasn't it, GBA? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was nice. It was a nice one to program. It, it, you've got the whole Nintendo technical requirements thing was always quite fun. Yeah, yeah. They, the documentation have, was bad. Yeah, and they have absolutely brutal testers for those. They have one guy whose entire job is to sit there mashing buttons and waiting to see if it crashes. Just yeah, if you if basically imagine giving giving a game to a two year old who's just going to go. <laughs> 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 That's all. That was what his job entailed because because all the um, buttons were effectively interrupt driven. Um, you end up with a system where you, if you didn't do it right, you could very easily set up for the whole thing to crash if if it was um, not coping properly with how the buttons were handled. And uh, similarly, you have to have the exact frame rate. They, they didn't go with anything other than the, was it 59.7 frames per second or something that the screen refreshed at. 
So anything under that, nope, fail, you know. Um, and I know for the 3D games and so on, Nintendo had a guy who did nothing but run around the edge of the world trying to fall off. <laughs> trying to find holes in holes in your mesh, you know, to, to fall off through. <laughs> yep. And yet, even with all that vigorous yeah. testing, there's so many particular games that's been on Nintendo platforms where there's so many places where, you, oh, you can fall off here. Oh, you all, can skip through all, the level just games. by yeah. wiggling at this point in the corner of a wall. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, really but bizarre. that's because to test everything in a large game nowadays would it, it would take an almost infinite amount of time to test every possible scenario you know so um there's some bugs that like yeah this shouldn't have got through but a lot of the stuff that people go you know sort of find is like well okay that's a really rare test case of course once you can you know once you can repo it then yeah, it's not a rare test case because everyone knows exactly how to do it. But if someone had done that during testing and told the programmer this is exactly what I did to do it, it wouldn't have made it out into the real world. But it's, it's that scenario where you're, you've only got a finite amount of, of, of man hours to actually test it. So you, you hope you caught everything, but you're never going to catch everything in, in, you know, completely. No, and no one, no developers should ever feel bad about that because there's literally YouTube channels and Twitch live streams where and real world records of people completing yes. games by using these glitches. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's just become this. It in some ways it makes it more interesting to watch because if they were going the normal route, it'd be like, yeah, we know, we know, you turn left, yeah, you turn I, right. Yeah, I did. Um... I, I did a, 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 a podcast interview with some uh, speedrunners, and they were Harry Potter speedrunners. Because <laughs> um, the fact they got one of the programmers of the first Harry Potter game, which they were absolutely trying to get every single possible you know, second out of, and, and, and these guys are insanely fast through the games. And they were just hoping that I would give away some clue as a summer extra new bug that they didn't know about or a feature they didn't know about, you know. And because um, like, there's one thing, for instance, in the library, there's a there's a section in the library where you've got to hop from bookcase to bookcase over the top to sneak across kind of thing. And they'd noticed that there was a shadow of a bookcase on the floor, but no bookcase. And they're like, oh, is there a hidden? I said, no, unfortunately, what it is, is the engine we were doing, it was our uh, own engine at the time. And what it did was it baked out all the shadows as part of the tile set for the scene when you built the level. <laughs> Um, but if you then moved something off the level, it would still be baked in unless you did the bake. So what had happened was one of the designers had changed the way the bookcases were and moved the bookcase, but hadn't rebaked the level. So the tile set was still the same. So unfortunately, it's a, it's a fake shadow and <laughs> nothing secret or hidden there. Sorry, guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> from their point of view, any bugs you can exploit are legal and legit for doing a speed run. It basically, it's, yeah. it's, as long as you're not modifying the game, if the game is as is, if there's a bug there, you can use it. It's, it's, um, you know, it's up to you to find them. Yeah, that's obviously the thing. It's fascinating. I'm, I've watched a few YouTube channels where they're doing these speed runs and they're explaining the speed run, and it's just how they. I mean, obviously, there's a community behind it where they're kind of sharing. Oh, I found this glitch, and some of them are so hard to pull off. To the point of insanity, and mm. um, you may have to trigger a similar glitch three times 
in the game to get the best time. And they'll just keep playing yeah, and, and if, playing and playing. It's... Yeah, and if it's like halfway through or towards the end of your speedrun where you've got to pull off this glitch, you've got to do the whole thing again. Yep. <laughs> no, it's pretty special. You need to have patience of a saint to be able to do that and a tremendous amount of skill because when I think mm. how I play a game, it's, it's much more random than how they oh, would play. God. Yeah. Starting a new game. Which mode would you like to do? What's the easiest possible? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've always... I have a thing about playing games. I'm not brilliantly good at playing games. I'm, I'm, I just, you know, I, I like writing them. I, I do like playing them, but I do not like the extra hardcore sort of games, generally speaking, because it's like... I, I get this. I think it's a lot of games. You play a game to feel like the hero. The whole point is you are... You are the hero, heroine of the game, you know, going in. So when it's basically you are going to fail no matter whatever you do, it's like, yeah, that doesn't feel right. And it's back to the old thing of, you know, there's, there's an old saying that heroes roll 20s. You know, the, the, the people who are heroes in, in, in classic, in, in any sort of literature, they're the guys that survived because they were lucky as well as good at what they did. You know, sort of, sort of it for every kind of so it's just like there's always a scenario where they just they rolled a deep they rolled a twenty you know and that that was it. So I think games that handhold you too much and make it just like you're just walking through. Fair enough, that that is that's a bit boring. You know, that you know almost like a job. Whereas ones that are too too you know over the top difficult. Like yeah, it, it can be fun sometimes, and, and you know you can imagine trying to play any modern game with only three lives, you know, uh, and, and if you fail on your third life, it deletes your save game. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, yeah. that's the level of space invaders or anything that we used to play, you know, uh, 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 sort of the early eight bit games and stuff where, where three lives was thought to be enough. And, um, I can understand why it moved to having, you know, you just like, you just continue from where you last saved at least, you know, but, um, I'm, I'm more of an explorer. I think I prefer I prefer the whole finding out what's in the game yeah. and play, and enjoying it without just being frustrated at having to go back, especially if it's an unskippable cutscene or something. Oh yes, <laughs> the worst. Yes, that's a de- definite down point on Wildlands. There are um, levels where you've got to sneak through stuff. It's multiple sections on the level of things you've got to do. With cutscenes that you can't skip because it's it's exposition of some character, so blah 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 blah. You know, are oh, you going to do it because yeah, okay, okay. and you, you're hitting the B button. It's like, well, cancel? No, I don't want to cancel. I don't want to. You know, no skip. It's just cancel and and, and 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 skip the mission. You know, or have to retalk to him again. And there's the really sort of annoying levels where you make one teeny tiny mistake right back to the start. Mm. Wait for him to go through the cutscene again, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's not at all. Why that choice that was ever made, I don't know. I think the only time I've really yeah. ever played a game on the hardest available setting was because of the novelty of it, and that was the Xbox 360 launch. I got it on day one. Well, actually, I literally got it dead before because I was classed as a journalist at the time. So I was very lucky. I got an Xbox 360 debug unit and an Xbox 360 one. Well, thank you very much. Wasn't expecting that. But it came with Call of Duty 2. Or oh, I brought it separately. I can't remember. But anyway, Call of Duty 2. 
But the novelty of the Xbox 360 was it was the first console to have achievements. So you were rewarded ah, yes, course, yeah. with gamer points if you played on the harder difficulty for Call of Duty 2. And that, I think the mode, the hardest yeah. mode was veteran. And it was. It was mm. insane to try and complete the game on this mode. You had to keep, basically, it was partly luck. Partly just keeping your head down and letting the AI shoot the bad guys and do some of the work for you. And then you just pop your head out to get the last one who just was hiding too far behind a brick wall or whatever. But I was doing this for hours and hours. And I did. I got it through it eventually. But the frustration of doing it, it was like, you'd spawn, you die. Spawn, you die. You spawn, you die. And he's like, well, where can I go? <laughs> so you'd be topping. Yeah. I was almost like one of those testers going, hit the button, hit the button, hit the button, spawned, run, 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 run. And uh, I've survived, you're dead. And <laughs> so, oh, yeah, absolutely. Insane. That that was what bugged me about games like Space Ace and Dragon's Lair and stuff. I didn't find them fun at all because it was basically, there was no way to know in advance what was going to kill you. You basically had to put another 10p in, having learned that that kills you, and do something different, yeah. which may still kill you. Uh, and it was like, yeah, that's that's just irritating. I mean, I, I helped um, Freeverse on, on, we were doing 360 stuff, and on, on one of the projects I did was I helped um, Freeverse Games in New York uh, do a, a three, the 360 version of Marathon Infinity for um, uh, XBLA. And one of the things about the marathon games, it's a general early bungee thing, is they always had super hardcore uh, achievements. So even pre-achievement days, if you did certain super hardcore things, it would actually flag up as a thing in the game, as a secret achievement thing. And I can't remember the specific one, but we're talking like doing a rocket jump while at this particular point in the game in absolute hardcore mode while doing somersaults or something yeah some there's, there's all sorts of particular things you have to do at the same time and killing every alien but only using the pistol or something you know and and they had that in uh, as one of one of the achievements and i'm, I'm like i'm not testing that <laughs> fortunately um bruce who is the producer on that one was a, he's one of the guys who kind of managed to get the project together because he was a massive uh, Bungie fan at the time played you know, he played the marathon games to death I and mean, I played him quite a bit but he was proper hardcore so he's the sort of person who would actually have been able to go, get those achievements you know, you know there's, there's, there's this sort of person they put them in for and again it's only like 1% at best of your customer base your player base is ever going to even consider trying to get the achievement and, and probably 1% of them might actually get it mm. But it's a badge of honour when you do, you know. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you mentioned games like Dragon's Lair and uh, I think Space Ace was the other one. It was all about, I mean, we talk about games with a pattern where you, you, you need to hide here at this point and then you'd fire at this point and this would float along the screen and you'd fire at this point. But Space Ace and Dragon's Lair, it was literally, if you knew to hit left at this point or right at this point or up or down or fire, if you were memorized those and got the timing of when you needed to hit it, you could complete mm. the game without ever losing a life. But getting yeah. to that point was painful <laughs> because yeah. and wasn't that like a an arcade machine with basically like a laser disc or something inside to play yes. the video, yeah. wasn't it? Because it was just video yeah. playback waiting for a certain yeah. moment in time. And if you press the right solution, 
it would play one video clip, but if you got it wrong, then it would play a different video clip. Yeah. It's, it's basically a, what we nowadays call a, quick time, a bunch of quick time events just stacked in sequence. Yeah. You know, so it's like, like games now, you know, it's, oh, you're falling out of an aeroplane with the bad guy mash A to grab the parachute off him kind of thing, you know. Um, and you've got X amount of sort of microseconds to respond and, and hit it so many times, you know. Um, that's, that's kind of a thing. But that, at the time, it was novel. It was, it was the best way to show off the Don Blue um, animation on Laserdisc. But there was actually getting a game out of it was, oh, I think, was a bit too much of a challenge. I mean, lots of people loved it, so you know, it, it appealed. So that's fair enough, you know. Um, but personally, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> and, and same with um, Shadow of the Beast on the Amiga. That was another one like that. Basically, walk along, get killed. Learn there's a trap there. Walk along. And there was no way to spot the trap in advance. Yeah, I think that was the thing. Uh, if there had been a way to spot the trap in advance, then at least you could be you know, keeping your eye out for things to, okay, I've learned that's that sort of trap, so I can watch for that, you know. Um, but there were, there were quite a few games like that, I suspect. In fact, I reviewed the Blu-ray version of Space Ace, so you could just put it in your Blu-ray player and play right. it on, like, because Blu-ray players have up, down, left, right, and select, and it would basically just use that as, like, the controller. Mm. That was fine, but... It's an infrared controller, so it's it's not exactly hundred percent yeah. responsive. So it was certainly worse than the original experience. But actually, the yeah. thing that confused the hell out of it all was my sound system seemed to have a particularly slow handshake at getting to know which audio codec was being used, whether it was Dolby Digital or DTS. It'd have a think about it before it triggered it, which meant oh. every time the scene changed, I'd have no sound for about two seconds until it adjusted again. So this is a game with a lot of switches in videos. So I'd end up with most of the game yeah. with sound, but mo also quite a percentage of it had nothing. But it was a lovely Ooh. idea, and it did look amazing remastered. Ooh. But again, playing those games at the time in the original state, it would have looked phenomenal compared to what the graphics capabilities would be, you know, not playing it in video yeah. form. So it would have been like, wow, this looks amazing. This is game technology at its highest. But then you realise how it works mm. and the novelty soon, I guess, disappeared for them. I mean, you know, you, you look at early, I mean, really early flight simulators. Um, they look quite spectacular compared to the first computer-generated ones because you actually had a physical model of a world where the camera was, was being moved over and the whole thing was being tilted so the actual flight simulator was showing a camera view projected onto a massive screen of this model world to give you a, a, a flight simulator you know so um it looked it looked cool the, the best thing with that was you could actually make them out of lego uh, i remember as a kid making something like that out of lego but you could actually move a mirror and a periscope kind of thing and it you just move the whole thing underneath you while tilting it <laughs> yeah I, I always find anything like this it's like magic's amazing um, both of you are frozen now. Oh. Can you hear me now? I don't know if I've lost James or James has lost... Uh, uh, lost uh, uh, James or James has lost me, so... <laughs> You're keeping everyone entertained while I'm... <laughs> I was wondering whether, whether I'd, be, I'd been kicked off or you guys had kicked off. Like, Am I the only one here on the YouTube channel? Like, oh, no, listen, no, wait, listen, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> 
I was waiting for it to let me back in, and it was saying connecting, connecting, and I was yeah. looking at the YouTube stream. I could see there's Eric. He's looking quite happy I'm by like, himself. <laughs> Welcome to the. I have no idea what happened there. So we're completely dependent on the online software we're using for this, which I have to say, ninety-nine percent of the time works fantastic. But it seems today it may be struggling a bit. (laughs) I'm um, a big fan. um, Same as Tony, we're both big fans of Formula One, uh, and I watch uh, a a podcast uh, called WTF One, and they do live podcasts and stuff and they were saying the other day the software they were using hasn't i think they when they do street they do live twitch streaming for a lot of stuff now but the software they're using despite being registered has an annoying habit of after half an hour it times out and cuts them off <laughs> so they have to keep rebooting it every half hour <laughs> so oh i don't know if they've actually managed to solve that one <laughs> Well, thankfully, we don't have that much problem. This has been the most problematic podcast in terms of connectivity issues. Both me yeah. and Tony were kicked out that time. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. You should have seen That's Aaron on the live uh, YouTube I'm stream. Like, it was fantastic. Wayne! <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? Well, I wasn't certain if, if I'd been kicked out or you guys had been kicked out. So it's like, you know, am I, just in case I'm the only one left on the channel, I was trying to avoid swearing too much. but. <laughs> 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 well, we probably ought to call it an end there, and I have, I'm going to have to stitch two podcasts together by the looks of it, because it's re-recording from zero, so it looks like oh, we'll God, have some right. stitching to do at the end of this. But regardless, yeah. it's been fantastic talking to you both, gentlemen. And, you and, that's been, yeah. and that's been it for this Game and Gadget Podcast. <laughs>